Good evening and um, welcome to our Bible study. As you know, we're in the book of Job, so if you have your Bibles handy, please turn with me to Job chapter 20. Job 20, verse 1. Then so far, the Namathite replied, My troubled thoughts prompt me to answer because I am greatly disturbed. I hear a rebuke that, it's honest, that dishonors me, and my understanding inspires me to reply. Surely you know how it has been of old ever since man was placed on the earth, that the mirth of the wicked is brief and the joy of the godless lasts but a moment. Though his pride reaches to the heavens and his head touches the clouds, he will perish for ever, like his own dung. Those who have seen him will say, Where is he? Like a dream, he flies away, no more to be found, banished like a vision of the night. The eye that saw him will not see him again. His place will look, his, his place will look on him no more. His children must make amends to the poor. His own hands must give back his wealth. The useful vigour that filled his bones will lie with him in the dust though evil is sweet in his mouth, and he hides it under his tongue, though he cannot bear to let it go and keep it in his mouth, yet his food will turn sour in his stomach. I will, It will become the venom of serpents within him. He will spit out the riches he swallowed. God will make his stomach vomit them up. He will suck the poison of serpents. The fangs of the adder will kill him. He will not enjoy the streams, the rivers flowing with honey and cream. What he, to to what he toiled for, he must give back uneaten. He will not enjoy the profit of his trading. For he has oppressed the poor and left them destitute. He has seized houses that he did not build. Surely he will have no respite from his cravings. He cannot save himself by his treasures. Nothing is left for him to devour. His prosperity will not endure. In the midst of his plenty, distress will overtake him. The full force of misery will come upon him. When he has filled his belly, God will vent his burning anger against him and rain down his blows upon him. Though he flees from an iron weapon, a bronze-tipped arrow pierces him. He pulls it out of his back and the gleaming point out of his liver. Terrors will come over him. Total darkness lies in wait for his treasure, a fire unfanned will consume him and devour what is left in his tent. The heavens will expose his guilt, the earth will rise up against him, a flood will carry off his house, rushing waters on the day of God's wrath. Such is the fate God allots the wicked, the heritage appointed for them by God. Well, they are very difficult words, and it's a difficult passage, but we're going to have a look at that together. But before we do, let's just pray. 
Father, we thank you again for your word and we thank you that we can gather around it and read it here together while you are here in our midst. And our Father, we just ask that you will help us to understand these words. Yes, we do need to fear God. The results of sin are, are devastating. And our Father, we know this and your word teaches it and we know it by what we see in the world in which we live. And our Father, we pray that you will give us the understanding that will give us reassurance of who you are as we come before you in this way. And we ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Well, this uh, book of Job that we have just read together is um, quite a disturbing uh, book. But we need to look at it. We need to see what it is saying to us. So, what we're doing really, we're going to see how Zophar will reply to Job. You know, Job in his closing words to what Bildad has said, Job makes a statement that is a warning to all three of his friends. In verse 28 of chapter 19, Job said, If you say how we will hound him, since the root of the trouble lies in him, you should fear the sword yourselves. For wrath will bring punishment by the sword, and then you will know that there is judgment. So Job tells them that their wrong assumptions are leading them to accuse an innocent man of being an enemy of God. And that they themselves need to beware, because they could be standing under the wrath of God, and then they will know about God's judgment. And we're going to say in the open, opening words of Zophar that he fully understands what Job is saying. And what he's saying is causing Zophar great offence. So the first three verses of Job chapter 20, we have here the feeling of Zophar's frustration when he says, And Zophar the Monomite replied, my troubled thoughts prompt me to answer because I am greatly disturbed. I hear a rebuke that dishonours me, and my understanding inspires me to reply. You see, he's saying, look, I'm angry when I think about what you are saying, and I can't wait to give you a piece of my mind. You dare to belittle me by telling me that I am wrong, when all the time I know that I am right. And when we come to verse 4 through to 11, we see something of Zophar's confidence in his own conclusions. You see, he's, he's confident in the things that he sees and what he's decided about and what is happening here to Job. So let's read through these verses from verse 4 to 11. Surely you know how it's been from old, ever since mankind was placed on the earth that the mirth of the wicked is brief and the joy of the godless lasts but a moment. Though the pride of the godless person reaches to the heavens and his head touches the clouds, he will perish forever. Like his own dung, those who have seen him will say, Where is he? Like a dream, he flies away, no more to be found, banished like a vision of the night. The eye that saw him will not see him again, his place will look on him no more. His children must make amends to the poor. His own hands must give back his wealth. The youthful vigour that 
fills his bones will lie with him in the dust. You know what's really happening here? Zophar is accusing his friend Job of gaining his previous position of wealth and prosperity by fraudulent means. And he's saying, now God has uncovered this hidden sin that's in your life, and now you're paying for it. What is Zophar doing here? Well, you know, sometimes we can do this. What he's doing is he's second-guessing God. And in doing that, his words tell us that he's undermining God. So he's walking on dangerous ground. As he continues to insist that in this lifetime, God always punishes the wicked and God never punishes the faithful. What these friends are failing to notice is that Job is not being punished. Job is suffering, and it is God who is allowing Job's suffering to happen. But the result will be that the majesty of God will be seen and that Satan's plans will fail. But why are Job's friends so upset about what Job is saying? If Job is right in saying that he is innocent and that he knows that it's God who is allowing these things to happen to him, it means then that a righteous, faithful man is suffering. And they can see it. It's happening before their eyes. But their conclusion of this would be that they look at Job in his condition and they conclude that he's there because of his sin. But if they took Job's conclusion, they would have to face the fact that they could one day be like Job. You see, it's all about them refusing to change their theology to bring them into line with the truth. Now, could this be one of the reasons that they will not admit to what Job is saying? Is it that they are afraid of the truth? You know, the Christian life is not all about being blessed. Sometimes it's about us being a blessing to God. Maybe we need to think about that a little bit because we are blessed as Christians, but we don't always seem to be seeing these blessings and sometimes we see the hard times that can overpower us. Listen to the words that God spoke, God the Father, when he spoke to his son. The son that he allowed to suffer, but he allowed him to suffer for us. This is in 2 Peter, it's chapter 1, verse 17. Speaking of Jesus, he received honour and glory from God the Father. When the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. You know, this reminds us of 
the words of Jesus when he healed a, a blind man. I know he healed a number of blind men, but on this occasion we read of in John chapter 9, I'm going to read verse 1 through to 5, and as I do, we're going to think about it. I'm going to see how it relates to what's happening here in the book of Job. So, verse 1 of chapter 9, John chapter 9. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, stop for a moment. Do you see that the disciples, like Job's friends, are drawing wrong, long, wrong conclusions based on what they see? The man is blind. Therefore, they're thinking it must be a punishment from God for the extent of his sin. Now, the only question they have is, is this because of the sins of the blind man or the sins of his parents? That's what they think, and they, they won't let go of this. But Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned. And then Jesus went on. Jesus said, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, first of all, Jesus is not saying that none of them sinned, because we all sinned. But he makes it clear that in this case, this man's blindness is not a punishment it's not a punishment for sin. It's not a punishment for his sin or his parents' sin. But what he tells them is, this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. This is what's happening to Job. So let's move on to verse 12 through to 19. And he has so far gets two things right and he also gets something wrong. So let's just read the verses first and think about what these things might be that he's getting right and the things that he's getting wrong. Though evil is sweet in the mouth and he hides it under his tongue, though he cannot bear to let it go and lets it linger in his mouth, yet his food will turn sour in his stomach. It will become the venom of serpents within him. Serpents within him. He will spit out the riches he swallowed. God will make his stomach vomit them up. He will suck the poison of serpents. The fangs of an adder will kill him. He will not enjoy the streams, the rivers flowing with honey and cream. What he toiled for, he must give back uneaten. He will not enjoy the profits from his trading. For he has oppressed the poor and left them destitute. He has seized houses that he did not build. So what is so far saying that is right here? What did he get right? Well, first of all, he got right the fact that sin can be sweet to the taste. The Bible is clear about that. And secondly, he got right that there is a price to be paid. Listen to what um, Solomon said in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 17. Food gain by fraud tastes sweet but one ends up with a mouth full of gravel. 
And I want us to go to Deuteronomy and read a couple of verses from Deuteronomy 32. Their vine comes from the vine of Sodom and from the fields of Gomorrah. Their grapes are filled with poison and their clusters with bitterness. Their wine is the venom of serpents and deadly poison of cobras. So, we've looked at a couple of things that so far got right. What does he get wrong? Well, he says that the wicked might not always suffer. He, 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 he gets wrong the fact that it's true that the wicked might not necessarily suffer in this life. And it's also true that in this life, the righteous might suffer. He got those things wrong because he was saying that the wicked will always suffer and the righteous will never suffer. There will be judgment for the wicked, but not always in this life. Sometimes we see the wicked prosper and continue to prosper. Zophar's conclusion that Job, after enjoying the rewards of, rewards of sin, is now paying the price for his unfaithfulness to God. And then he goes on to tell Job what to expect. And as he draws a graphic picture of Job's present condition, it is clear that he is aware of the agony and the pain that Job is going through. And it's also evident that so far has no concern or compassion for Job. So as we draw to the end of the passage, verse 20 through to verse 29, so far lacks, has a lack of love and concern for his friend. Listen to what he says. Surely he will have no respite from his craving. He cannot save himself by his treasure. Nothing is left for him to devour. His prosperity will not endure. In the midst of his plenty, distress will overtake him. The full force of misery will come upon him. When he has filled his belly, God will vent his burning anger against him and rain down his blows on him. Though he flees from a nine weapon, a bronze-tipped arrow pierces him. He pulls it out of his back, the gleaming point out of his liver. Terrors will come over him. Total darkness lies in wait for his treasures. A fire unfanned will consume him and devour what is left in his tent. The heavens will expose his guilt. The earth will rise up against him. A flood will carry off his houses. Rushing waters on the day of God's wrath. Such is the fate God allots to the wicked, the heritage appointed to them by God. This is really the summary of this particular speech of Zophar's, and it's the conclusions that he has. Job is saying to him, he's saying, Look, Job, this is what you have ahead of you, this is what you deserve, and you, Job, Dare to threaten me, a righteous, God, godly man, to beware that what is happening to you might happen to me. That's why he says, surely you know how it has been from old. I'm right, but you're wrong. That's what he's saying. 
But let's finish uh, with another example of Jesus' disciples thinking again like Job's friends, thinking that all suffering is the result of God's judgment for sin. I want us to go just for a few moments as we finish this evening to Luke 13, a well-known passage, verse 1 through to 5. Now there were some presents at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. So it seems that there had been an incident when Pilate had ordered some men from Galilee to be killed while they were in the process of worshipping God. And Jesus, by answering this with a question, he's telling us that he knows what these people are thinking. You see, Jesus said in answer to this, Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered this way? You see, the answer is no. They didn't suffer because of their sin. But then he speaks to the people who asked the question and he says to them, but remember to learn from this that one day you will die. And the question for you is, will you be ready to meet God? Then in verse 3 he said, I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you too will perish. See the warning in that verse? Jesus then introduced Introduces to them another more recent incident as he asked them what they thought about this thing that had happened. These people obviously knew about this. It might have been that a tower holding up an aqueduct near the pool of Siloam had collapsed and killed 18 people. Whatever it was, it was a tower the Tower of Siloam, and it did collapse, and it did kill 18 people. So in verse 4, Jesus says, These 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? You see, the answer that comes with the same warning, the answer is no, they didn't die because of their sin they weren't being punished for sin this was an accident that brought about sudden death and this is why jesus said in verse 5 i tell you the answer is no they didn't die as punishment for their sin but here's the warning for you but unless you repent you too will perish you see the wrong assumption is that they must have done something bad for God to allow something as tragic as this to happen to these 18 people who died. Tragedies are not always divine punishments, so we have to be careful when we make assumptions. But there can be warnings to the living, and the warnings will be like we've heard this evening. Will you be ready when the final judgment day comes. I want us to finish with just a verse that uh, is from a passage that we looked at on Sunday as we looked at the, uh, the, the missionary journey of Paul and Barnabas. And this is from Acts 14, verse 22. Uh, and this is really uh, something that Paul said to these people. He said, strengthen, he went and he strengthened the disciples and encouraged them 
What did he do? To remain true to the faith. And then he said, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. So we've been looking at the hardships of Job and we'll continue to look at that as bad and as tragic as it is. But you know, he went through it as a faithful man, a righteous man. And again, this is a picture of the faithful, righteous man, the one who knew no sin, who went through even greater suffering for you and I. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that as we've looked at this, what can be a very dark passage in the book of Job, we pray that we will see the light that can break through this darkness. And we can do that by understanding more about you, more about ourselves, more about seeing the... the, the, the the extent of sin and the need for judgment, but also to see how sometimes you choose that those who love you will go through times of hardship so that through that something of you might be seen and that warnings might be given to those who have not yet repented of their sin. Oh, Father, we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.